unceasingly celebrate with joy your coming into our midst. We celebrate with hope your coming into our midst. And we celebrate with peace your coming into our midst. For you have come to save us. And Father, we come before you tonight as the shepherds of old in adoration and praise. We bring you honor. We bring you glory. And I pray that you would transform our lives this Christmas through the new birth of your Holy Spirit within us to commit ourselves to your work of peace and justice and righteousness. As your witnesses in this world, may we be a partial answer to your prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, of course, we need the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us tonight and give each of us just the message you want us to hear because we pray to you in the name of Mary's baby, Jesus Christ the Messiah, and all God's people said, Christmas is a wonderful, magical time of the year, especially tonight. Christmas Eve, I think, sort of has a magical atmosphere of its own. And I love Christmas Eve almost as much as I love Christmas Day. And Christmas Eve must be magical because Christmas Eve does not work on paper. For instance, did you know that the weight of Santa's sled, if he only brought one beanie baby, one beanie baby to each child on earth, forget the stereos and the iPhones and the computers and the Xboxes, forget all that. But if he walked one beanie baby to every child on earth, his sled would weigh 333,000 pounds, 333 pounds, 333,000 pounds. The number of reindeer to pull a sled that heavy would be 214,000 plus Rudolph. To deliver his gifts in one night, Santa would have to make 823 visits per second while driving at 3,000 times the speed of sound. And without Christmas magic, Santa's sleigh would spontaneously burst into combustion. So Christmas Eve is magical. There's no other logical explanation for it. However, I think the danger at this time of year is that we have spent so much time focusing on the magic of the season that we have trouble keeping our perspective about the purpose for the season. And that's why this Christmas Eve service is so important. It's so important to you. It's so important to me particularly because I get one last chance, one final chance, one final word before Christmas so that I can zero in on what is most important about tomorrow and all the preparation that has gone into it. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. 
So tonight, I have one last shot to talk about what all that means. Now, I have picked a rather odd text for my Christmas Eve message. It's recorded in Hebrews, the first chapter, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in many different ways. But now in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. God has chosen his Son to own all things, and through him he made the world. The Son reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. He holds everything together with his powerful word. When the Son made people clean from their sins, he sat down at the right side of God, the Great One in heaven. Now, the grandeur of the message is enhanced by the simplicity of the message. But now in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. God speaks to us through his Son, and his Son is the full, final, complete revelation of himself. So here we are. It's Christmas Eve. Christmas is less than six hours away. So who is this one? Who is God's final word to us? The Savior. The Messiah, Mary's baby. Who is he? Our daughter Jennifer worked for a lady who had a little four-year-old boy named Jacob. And on Christmas, Jacob asked his mama, he said, Mama, why are we celebrating Christmas with a baby Jesus? Well, honey, we're remembering Jesus' birth. But mama, Jesus isn't a baby anymore. Don't people know that he grew up? and became a man, and died on a cross. And you don't see any man Jesuses on people's lawns. All you see is a baby in a manger. He's not a baby anymore. He grew up and became a man. Now, folks, that's pretty mature thinking for a four-year-old boy. And Jacob's point is well taken. The baby grew. God spoke a final word conclusive, definite word in the coming of his son. And we need to hear that word this evening. And it shouldn't be lost in what we have made Christmas. It shouldn't be lost in what we've made of the celebration. The one who came, folks, is really calling us to partnership with him to redeem this world in his name. Let's begin with this. Jesus is God's final word. Jesus is God's final word. In his son, God said all that he needed to say. In Jesus, God revealed everything about himself that needed to be revealed. Now, if you want to have a clear picture of what God is like, study the life of Jesus. If you want a clear picture of what God calls us to be and what God calls us to do, then study the teachings of Jesus. There are some lines in an old hymn that says, 
just when I need him most, just when I need him most. Jesus is near to comfort and cheer, just when I need him most. Now, there are probably those here tonight who who have not received Jesus, and they may feel that God is not in touch with their lives, and many have not discovered that nearness and feel estranged from him. Thomas Carlyle lay dying, and he had a friend who was caring for him, and his friend said, I only believe in a God who can do something. And then he said in his anguish and pain as Carlyle was dying, God just sits there and does nothing. You ever felt that way? Have you ever been bothered by the silence of God? Let me tell you that God in Jesus is God's final word to us. And when God comes to us in Jesus, he is neither silent nor is he careless. God is not an indifferent father. He sent his son, and because he did, he has spoken the message that God cares and that God is there just when we need him most. He is there to stand with you in your sorrows, and folks, it just seems like so many wretched things happen One of my good friends buried his mother Friday on their 67th wedding anniversary. His dad buried his wife of 67 years. He had friends whose husband died yesterday. They're going to raise his flowers after Christmas. So many tough things happen at Christmas. But he cares enough to be with you when you're around When it does seem silent, he is still there. He cares enough to be with you when when your strength is just not adequate for what you're facing. Just when you need him most, Jesus is near to comfort and cheer. He is not silent. He is not unloving. God sent his son to be his final word to us. I wonder, can you hear him when he has spoken? Do you believe when he speaks if you can? You can experience what one of my favorite poets, Anne Weems, writes about. She said in one of her Christmas poems, Once we've seen the child, we've left holding hearts wherein angels dance and stars sing. And once we've been to Bethlehem, every day is Christmas. So remember with me tonight, the one who came spoke a clear final word. And that clear final word, that is God is there. Jesus is God's final word to us. It's clear, it's a definite word, and it's a word of love. Now, following through on that, amplifying that, Jesus is God's final word of blessing. In the prologue of John's gospel, John says, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
full of grace and truth. The word of grace that God spoke through Jesus. Folks, thank goodness it is not based on our comfort. It's not based on our worthiness, but on God's grace. We do not have to measure up to receive his word of grace. All we have to do is accept it as a gift. I like the way the message translates it. It says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. See, God took the initiative, and God has found us, and he has spoken a word of grace to us. And what does that grace mean? What does that grace mean when it gets right down where you struggle, right down in the trenches where you live? What does that grace mean? It means, first of all, that the guilty can be forgiven. Guilty can be forgiven. Have, have, you, have you ever sat and observed a municipal, municipal court? Have you ever gone to sit? I, I, you might have if you've gotten a ticket or something. Yeah. But have you ever observed municipal court in action? You ought to go sometime if you have a chance. I was over at Cincinnati Hamilton County Justice Center uh, to visit one of their guests. And so I decided to slip into the courtroom and just watch what went on. Court had not started yet, and so I sat on the back row where people were milling around, and I just observed and I listened to the conversations going on around me. And immediately I became aware that most of those coming before the court were repeat offenders, petty thieves, people involved in brawls, domestic violence, Prostitutes arrested again. Now, if I were hauled into court, I would be worried to death about being convicted. But I learned from listening to most of those repeat offenders, they were not worried about their innocence. Their guilt was a foregone conclusion. And I listened and I observed, and they were not worried about, will I be declared innocent. You know what they were talking about? Who's the judge today? Who's the judge today? Because they knew that certain judges were tough. They knew that certain judges were lenient. And it was a question of some urgency that dominated the courtroom talk that day is who is the judge? Who's the judge? Well, let's change the scene. Let's think about our life. Isn't it true that all of us are repeat offenders? Hmm? Again and again and again and again, we stand guilty before God. But even as we stand guilty before God, there is something that brings comfort even to that guilt because we acknowledge as we stand before him, we can be forgiven. That Jesus came to save us. So the final word at Christmas is grace. The word became flesh, full of grace and truth. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And it's true. Tonight, right down where we live, this final conclusive word of God to us on Christmas Eve is guilt. Grace, the guilty, can be forgiven. But there's also something else about this final word of God on Christmas Eve. The hopeless can find hope. The hopeless, the downtrodden, those people that we have pushed to the margins of society, that we like to avoid when we're walking down the street, those people that we have liked to avoid, these hopeless people have found hope. And hope is one of the central words of Christmas. We talked about it in a sermon. We light the Advent candle of hope every year. The well-beloved Christian carol says it well, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And the word of grace reminds us that our hope isn't in vain. Now maybe tonight you're living out your hope in a difficult situation. Maybe you're living out your hope in a difficult time, in a difficult place. I received a letter from the Covenant House in New York City. Are you familiar with Covenant House in New York City? It's a home for homeless kids. And uh, it is spread now, I think, to nine cities. In this letter, Sister Rosemary, president of Covenant House, told this story. I'm going to read it to you. She says it better than I can tell it. She came to our front door Tuesday morning, dressed in dirty rags, holding an aluminum paint can in her arms. From the second she stepped inside our shelter, she mystified us. Wherever she went, whatever she did, the paint can never left her hand. When Kathy sat in the crisis shelter, the can sat in her arms. She took the can with her when she went to the cafeteria the first morning that she ate and to bed with her the first night that she slept. And when she stepped into the shower, the can was only a few feet away. And when this tiny homeless little girl dressed, the rest, she rested, dressed the can was alongside her feet. I'm sorry, it's mine, she told us politely when asked about it. The can belongs to me. Do you want to tell us what's in the can, Kathy? No, not today. Not today. Sister Rosemary says, I have been around troubled kids all of my life. Over 41,000 kids will come through our shelter this year. And I'm used to seeing them carrying stuffed animals. Some of the roughest, toughest kids at Covenant House have stuffed animals. Every kid has something and needs something to hold. But you can't. I could feel alarm bells ringing in my head. Early this morning, I decided to accidentally run into her again. Would you like to join me for breakfast? Oh, that would be great, she said. For a few minutes, we sat in the corner of our cafeteria talking quietly over the din of 150, of 
150 ravenous homeless kids eating their breakfast. Then I took a deep breath and I plunged in. Kathy, that's a really nice tent. What's in the tent? A long time Kathy didn't answer. She rocked back and forth, her hair swaying across her forehead. Then she looked at me, tears in her eyes, and said, It's my mother. Mother? What do you mean, it's your mother? Sister, it's my mother's body. I went and got them from the funeral home, and I had them put a label on it right here. Here is her name. See the label? And then Kathy pulled his hand close to her and held it. Sister, I never really knew my mother. Sister, my mother threw me in the garbage two days after I was born. We checked Kathy's story. Sure enough, the year Kathy was born, the New York papers ran a story saying the police had found a little infant girl in a dumpster, and yes, it was two days after Kathy was born. Sister, I ended up living in a lot of foster homes, angry at my mother. Then I decided I was going to find her. I got lucky. Someone knew where she was living, and I went to see her. She wasn't there, sister. My mother was in the hospital. She had AIDS, and she was dying. I went to the hospital, and I got to meet her the day before she died. And my mother told me she loved me. Sister, my mother told me she loved me. We double-checked Kathy's story. Every word was true. I reached out and hugged Kathy, and she cried in my arms for a long, long time. It was tough getting my arms around her because she just wouldn't put the pan down. But she didn't seem to mind, and I know I didn't. I saw Kathy again a couple of hours ago eating in our cafeteria. She made a point to come and say hi, and I made a point to give her an extra hug. Hmm. Because God sent his son, I hope those on the perimeter of society like Kathy find hope. Sister Rosemary says that 41,000 kids are ministered to through Covenant Ministries. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and no kid, no kid under any circumstance is ever turned away. The hopeless find Maybe some of you are living out your hope in a difficult home, family. Some of you have a loved one that's critically ill. Maybe you have buried a loved one this year. And you have stood in the soft dirt, an open grave, heartbroken as you can be. I pray that you would let the word of grace bring hope in the midst of your difficulty and your worry and your sorrow and your discouragement. And it's like the 
greatest hymn of all time says it so well. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The most hopeful word in the Bible was wrote by John when he said, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the manger. Not far away, not unknowable, not untouchable, not remote, not unavailable, but among us, among us. And that is why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. The Christmas angel said to Joseph, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. My final word to you this Christmas Eve is, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in many different ways. Now in these last days, has spoken to us through the Son. And the Son reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate His forgiveness. We're going to celebrate His grace. We do not come to this table because we are worthy. We come because the death of Jesus, in the death of Jesus Christ, God has accepted us and offered us new life and forgiven us. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're invited to this table to celebrate God's final